0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Hey there, White Sox fans. It is Believe in White Sox, podcast number six, and still sticking with me, still sticking around, talking White Sox with me on the Believe (laughs) Network, it's my buddy, Tommy Barbie. Thank you for joining me again, Tommy.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, uh, we have not been away long since talking to our throngs of fans out there. Tommy, it's been a two-game series starting very ugly and actually sort of ending a little ugly. The good news is the White Sox did actually split in Pittsburgh, which would have probably been the minimum expectation. Uh, They did manage to sneak out of Pittsburgh with a win just by a hair. Uh, Anything you saw in these two games with Pittsburgh – encouraging discouraging now what's your take on a whole two game series
0: yeah i mean ideally you, you want to see them win both games but um I, I think the more concerning aspect is one uh you have another injury um with angle out again with i think the same injury or one that would be directly related to his previous yeah. injury um and that's just horrible timing for that. Um, and just in general, the vibe, energy from the team is not where you want them to be, um, especially considering they're playing the Pirates. I mean, it, it, it's just kind of like they barely snuck out a win and in general, play it like a team that shouldn't be where they are record-wise, um, both games.
1: Yeah, just as a White Sox check here, uh, run differential-wise, they're still on pace for 101 wins. Uh, if you just take the winning percentage, they would be on pace for 96 wins. Both great, both well outpacing yep. the way we thought they'd be. So still... Not a bad situation. Two and a half games up on Cleveland, still. Cleveland now just barely projects, run differential-wise, to a 500 team. So the White Sox still project to be a 20-game division winner. Remains to be seen. Because one of the problems here is this is a stretch. It would have been a 15-game stretch when we last spoke to the Believe audience. Now it's a 13-game stretch where the White Sox do pretty desperately need to fatten up. And when you look at it like, well, wait, they're in first place. They've been pretty great all year. They've been in first for quite a while now um what's the big deal well after the all-star break the stretch between all-star break and really probably start of september September. is a little rough yeah and so that's a time where we might expect them to i won't say 500 but they're that's not a stretch you're going to expect them to fatten up these 13 games you do want to see i think we decided tom we want to see them probably five games up on all-star game day exactly Uh, they got some work to do because cleveland isn't exactly Burning anything up uh, both teams are sort of like shrugging their shoulders like well okay who wants to win uh, this is a time coming up against Mariners uh, twins that you know this team's got to put some distance between them and Cleveland
0: exactly and there's really no reason for them not to at this point either because I mean you're, you're talking about teams that not only aren't great but they're also hurt I mean, you look at all the entries that the Twins have been dealing with. Like they, that's a very winnable stretch of games that the Sox are looking at, and you kind of hope they would have gotten off to a better start than this kind of meh start that they got with with Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, it's easy to feel good, riding high. Like they can do no wrong. Uh, everybody, there's a new hero every night. The rotation is just nails. But White Sox right now, just fourth in the American League. They were tops in the American League just a few games ago. Seventh in Major League Baseball. Um, You know, they've, again, nobody thought they were going to be the best team in baseball. And (laughs) probably, talent-wise, they're they're not. Certainly, healthy talent-wise, they're not the best team in baseball. But this is not the direction you want to be going. At a time when the White Sox probably should be uh, hold and serve. Um, and yeah, they're going to have to dig pretty deep here. And 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 I think something you said that's concerning is some of that body language, um, some of the visualizations we're getting from the Pittsburgh series. When I think the thing we were holding our breath on for Tuesday's game was how's this team going to come out? And they right. came out, uh, <laughs> they came off flat. And they came yeah. out flat. They ran into a pretty good pitching performance, but they came out flat because they got a good pitching performance from Lucas Giolito. Uh, and couldn't manage to dominate even on the road, the worst team in baseball. Um, that you know that's that's concerning. And uh, you wonder now with another day off this is a this is a a week, even though they're injured to sort of like fatten up, get a little healthy because they're not playing seven seven games in this week. Yeah, uh, to hopefully uh, regroup again, like come home. I know that helps and and really come out gangbusters because they really need to. This is a time. I mean we can, People can listen and say, oh, geez, man, these guys, they're just not going to be happy. <laughs> but this is time to get a little fat because leaner times are coming. They got a rough stretch. And even what looked like an easy stretch in September. I know there's a, a Boston, the other Boston series and stuff. Yeah. Maybe isn't as easy as we first thought because some teams have sort of shuffled up. Boston's a better team than us right now.
0: They are. And, you know, I think the other part, too, is that even the game that the Sox won, that should have been a blowout. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about Chase DeYoung, who hasn't performed well at all this season and the Sox could only get a handful of runs off of him. And I mean, there, there were pitches because Frank Thomas was announcing it sounded like he wanted to get out of the, booth and <laughs> swing at the pitches. They were so easy to hit and it was just the Sox batters time and time again, just fouling off, fouling off, fouling off, and just their, their timing is just a little bit off. But then what's getting concerning is that you're seeing guys that are normally more aggressive taking strike three that might be close pitches, but it's still just kind of that apprehensive approach that the Sox aren't usually known for. And you're seeing guys like Mankata strike out looking a lot more than he had been. And that that's where it's like, okay, are they starting to second guess themselves? Cause this really isn't the time to be doing that.
1: Craig realizes he actually looked at the white side depth chart. He realizes he is first on the designated depth chart. So he's As like, he should okay, be. <laughs> you know, uh, he's like, wait, if I talk this the right way, don't be too pushy. Maybe come in at a major league minimum.
0: They'll let me I in. could be
1: playing again because he might still be maybe one or two. Uh, and it is concerning what you concerned at all, what you've seen of Yon Mankata in this recent stretch. He's, he seems to get a lot of criticism, but there are people who are even arguing he's not having a good year, which is, is plainly just, not true,
0: Yeah, that's but true we're
1: seeing some, some maybe some defensive lapses as you point out at the plate, he's just had a weird stretch and he's really our guy. I mean, maybe it mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to be because Luis Robert was maybe supposed to be pushing him for say a, a war title on the team, maybe even Aloy. Uh, although I guess that depends a lot, whether he's in the field, uh, but you know, he's, he's really our, he's sort of our glue. I don't think it's a yeah. lot to, ex- I think it's too much to expect maybe Tim Anderson to outperform Yamakata from a, uh, from a war standpoint. So if he's flagging uh, you, you just wonder if the whole temperature of the team changes when, when he's even flagging. And that's, that's a concern for me.
0: I, I would agree. Um, I think the other thing that has been interesting is that as a team, maybe it's not a surprise given the injuries, but the socks are, are not, you know, they're not a home run hitting team and that that's fine. You don't have to be, but in lulls like this, you get the sense that they're trying to hit home runs. They're trying to pull the ball a lot and they are striking out, popping up all that because of it. And it's one thing if it's a brave, because, you know, he just gets into these funks here and there and and they've become, unfortunately more common as he's gotten older, but when you see guys that are like, you know, Mankata and even Tim Anderson up until his performance today, starting to swing for the fences, that's where I get concerned because neither one of those guys are home run hitters. Yeah, they can hit 20 home runs a year, but that's not their approach. They are guys that hit the ball to all fields, put pressure on the defense with their speed. And that's what should be their approach so when they feel the need to start opening up more and trying to get the ball into the air that's where you start seeing these guys take pitches that they shouldn't be taking and frankly swinging at stuff they shouldn't be swinging at because they're not that kind of hitter and that's where the depth becomes a real issue because you you know you can say next man up as much as you want to but when your next man up is Luis Gonzalez who I like a lot but he was batting below the Mendoza line in Charlotte which doesn't seem like that should be physically possible no. and you're relying on guys like that to kind of help spark the offense it, it's just it's not a good situation
1: yeah it's an it's a snapshot of the log jam or or, or the the jam the team is in when The, the, the realistic guys, Blake Rutherford would be another guy you might realistically think about calling up who's who's hitting roughly as poorly as Gonzalez in Charlotte, Gavin sheets is a guy you think about calling up but you know he's still he's played a dozen games in the outfield and that's where they would need him to play. Substantially, this team is is stuck. It doesn't have. I mean, there. I you know. I imagine there's always a Brian Goodwin on the waiver wire, but right now there's not even a Brian uh, Goodwin on the waiver wire to maybe hope to <laughs> sign to get a, like an injection of energy. I mean, I'm not even sure what you're hoping. In, I mean, even going back to Billy Hamilton, all these guys have actually performed for the White Sox at you know right. at least replacement level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, the notion that that. Uh, that that's who you got to hand the bat over to. I mean, even Adam Engel, frankly, I mean, as much as his, as inspiring as his 2020 was, right. um, and that even played a little bit into the, his end of after he went back down to Charlotte uh, once or twice, uh, his end of season in 2019, he is not proven that he's a guy who really should be getting you know more than those late at bats, more than those uh, uh, late in defense replacement. In an ideal world, that's what he's doing, but it's not an ideal world right now. The White Sox, right. many teams are beat up and the fact that they do not have major league replacements, uh, it, you know, unfortunately is catching up on them and uh, unless they can really find a way in these couple of weeks leading up to the all-star break um, to, to, to create a little daylight between them and Cleveland. It's a, it, I'd say it's a bad sign for the second half, because even though there may be guys coming back, potentially lose Robert, potentially Aloy Jimenez, um, but still likely missing at least half of the second half. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be enough to just put major leaguers on the field for this team. Uh, it's a real disappointing development. As much as you can be disappointed about a first place team on pace for, for 95 to hundred wins to be like ho- crossing fingers that right. you can score runs.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I just, I know, I think I was the most pessimistic Southside Sox writer on, on win loss projections, but that was based on what I perceive to be issues as far as the back end of the rotation and bullpen. I didn't really anticipate the offense going through scoring droughts at, at this rate where it's just like, you know, it's like the old school socks where they, they face these pitchers that aren't any good and they treat them like it's Cy Young facing them where they have no idea what to do. And I I know they're studying these pitchers. I know they have the information, but it's just like every time they're up at the plate, they're apprehensive.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's a good seg though, Tommy, because you're mentioning the starting rotations, which you and most legitimately had concerns about because the White Sox came into the season, I guess with roughly three starters and then maybe a couple fingers crossed, two, three fingers crossed, and they've been lights out. Uh, Mm -hmm. Now, injury hasn't really messed with them too badly but now we have as we spent a lot of time discussing last podcast we have a new world order mid-season MLB has decided to start enforcing substances pitchers use and we've seen uh the laughable and and really it's it's sort of trap it's funny but it's tragic footage with Max Scherzer being uh I mean at some point harassed Pretty by much. The Philadelphia yeah. Phillies and goofball Joe Girardi asking to check him was that two three four times during the game mm-hmm. uh, we've seen Sergio Romo begin to pull his pants down um, I get that there's this sort of unified front with pitchers just saying what the hell's going on and I do not yeah. blame them in the least this is a very strange thing to have thrown out there in the middle of the season but unfortunately it's here I don't know that it's going to be reversed and we're starting to see a slight uptick in velocity and a huge uh, drop since the um, test period has started um, or check period has been started in spin. And the White Mm -hmm. Sox, unfortunately, have two pitchers so far in this uh, new check era who did see their spin rates really fall. Lance Linz fell. He explained that that was more, I just didn't have it that night. And again, sounds like something that a veteran would say, Um, It might not actually necessarily be true, but okay, we can take his word for as a veteran. Dylan Cease today is another guy who uh, I guess he's been the guy folks have been most curious about, in part because of how well he's done so far this year. Well, he Mm -hmm. did not do terribly well. Uh, today. He did about what you might expect from Dylan Cease, not what we've seen earlier this season. Right. And part of that could have been attributed to the fact that none of his pitches had near the spin that he's had for the balance of the season. And it worries me that while injury might not mess these guys up, and probably every team has to deal with it, of course, everybody's got five starters, but yep. the White Sox who have been doing so great That this is going to be the little pothole they hit, rather than it being uh, injury or somebody just, you know, having a lucky first half.
0: Well, I I think it might even be a combination of both because if you the way that the White Sox are constructed, they need the starters to go deep enough in games so that they're not overly reliant on guys like Crochet, frankly, and even Bummer or Foster to kind of get this huge innings run where you know come August September they're pretty much cooked because they've pitched all the games you know in the next couple of months so I I think I do worry about a domino effect um with that and I thought it was impressive for Cease to kind of gut it out the way that he did because that's the start where earlier in the season I think he gets knocked out in the fourth or fifth inning and it ends up being more of a bullpen heavy night, but um, he managed to make his way through, but seeing that increase in velocity along with the decrease in spin does make me worry about, you know, how are these guys going to hold up if that trend continues? Cause I'm sure, I'm sure they're doing side work to, you know, get used to pitching without, whatever substances they're used to using. Um, And so, you know, that doesn't show up in the box score in terms of number of pitches thrown if you're doing side sessions every couple of days. But I just, I, I hope for the best, but, you know, with COPEC coming back, it helps, but you still kind of don't have maybe the depth that you'd like to have in that long relief setup role to kind of say with consistency, here are the guys that you have. Tony LaRusso is still very much doing a revolving door of the bullpen guys that are kind of coming in in any given inning.
1: Yeah. Yeah it's a nice combination of, of veteran arms and younger arms. You can't say, well, these guys are going to be lost. Uh, even having, even being challenged to do this midseason, that some of them should not have a problem. I would assume a guy like Lance Lynn is going to be able to adjust pretty well. And, and maybe Lucas Chilito as well. And Keuchel. Uh, but just the idea that, I mean, let's just take a step back and discuss the sort of the larger notion of the idea. Again, we, we touched on it last time, but the idea that you're going to start applying a different set of rules. And I mean, let's make it clear that some of this stuff, something for the, I mean, rosin has clearly always been around mm-hmm. something for the hand is necessary for grip and now to, to manipulate for, for, you know, for the, for the spin and so forth. Uh, you know, obviously some things have gotten way out of hand where you've got uh, some form of uh super glue going on, on the ball. But yeah, the idea that mid season, even mid series you're challenging guys to throw completely differently, expect from them not to perhaps get injured um, or potentially guys even losing their livelihood for some of the, the poor response to this doing, again, midstream, not even at the all-star break where you might even have right. a few days to gather. Uh, it's just a strange, strange look. And I really don't understand what Major League Baseball is thinking, what urgency suddenly it is applying, let's say on June 1st. Uh, that couldn't have waited until the 2022 season or maybe even the postseason.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't understand the application of this at all. Um, and I think it makes it worse when you see things that happen like with what happened with Girardi and Scherzer, where it's like if a manager can repeatedly ask for a pitcher to get chucked during a game, that's just kind of messed up because now not only are you messing with the pitcher you know their mindset basically to try to pitch through the game you're also completely derailing the pace of play because every so often the manager's like oh yeah that curveball looked a little (laughs) I think I think there's something off there let's let's check him again I know you checked him last inning but let's go back out there so unless they change it where it's at least like a challenge and maybe you get one or two a game, I don't know where the threshold stops because the umpires aren't going to throw out a manager for having a pitcher checked repeatedly because they clearly said, these are the rules moving forward. So I don't know where the breaking point is then.
1: And, at, you know, and, and again, a larger issue here, I think it was Zach Britton maybe who said today, You know, we're talking about this, we're watching highlights of this nonsense instead of celebrating... Wander Franco, uh, his exactly. home run in his first game, and 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 his his father watching him, and that great footage. Now, granted, we've seen that too, but the fact that that's even sharing the stage, yep, uh, with true highlights, an exciting, exciting season. All three uh, American League uh, division leaders are all, all have uh, magic numbers of eighty eight. Mm -hmm. go figure how that works but I mean listen (laughs) it's been an exciting season it's been fun now you're even starting to see and again it takes a cynical mind to think this way but I think it also takes a practical mind to think this way now we're starting to see cracks even though initially we had lies like Pete Alonzo and even Josh Donaldson saying it doesn't matter let's just make the ball consistent it really doesn't matter what they're putting in their hand to throw the ball right now we're now we're seeing I believe was Chris Bryant maybe yesterday saying Uh, acting irritated and acting a little pouty about the idea that, you know, Oh, we should have never put up with it before. Now you're starting to see a bit of a schism perhaps among players. And I tell you one possible explanation. And again, it's not a terribly fun one, but one possible explanation for this being thrown out in the middle of the season is there's a labor agreement up and we do not necessarily have a season in the books. And in fact, people are terribly cynical about a 2022 season. And the idea that, Uh, management is above pitting players and folks who are going to defend management are going to say oh come on they're cheating you know this is this is about the rules well this is inconsistent application of the so-called rules that just have popped up at the start of june in a season otherwise been terrific and geez you know i wonder why
0: well and also it's just yes i i buy that but i only buy it as far as the caveat that once again major league baseball clearly made drastic changes to the baseball itself and look no further than the fact that AAA is still using the juice balls from last year and the offensive production is off the charts i mean you have people putting up video game numbers that probably couldn't hit anywhere else and if you want like it's fine if they want to kind of cause a distraction by saying oh it's not the baseball that we doctored or changed or anything like that it's really the fact that the pitchers are using sticky stuff that's fine but there is tangible evidence that is very much contrary to that whole rumor that MLB is trying to kind of create
1: I would like some of those video game numbers in Charlotte please Tommy could you get some of those <laughs> to Charlotte because I'm not sure there are any other than Tim Beckham's a week a week that was truly a video game yeah uh, I haven't <laughs> seen too many video game numbers including the guys we're calling up to the major leagues as if somehow they earned their way to the major leagues all right let's before we get to the fun latter half of the program let's just break it down here I did count incorrectly there are five series left between now and the all-star break 16 total games we have the twins twice this this home uh we have a we have a home home series homestand this last home stand before all-star break is twins and mariners and the white sox wind up their first half uh traveling to uh detroit minnesota and baltimore Those are seemingly all very winnable games. What do we feel comfortable saying needs to be the White Sox result from those 16 games to feel good and to feel like they took advantage of what will be probably their easiest on paper stretch of the season of 16 games. I'm guessing you really feel like you want to take 11, 11 of those.
0: Yeah. Even 12. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, realistically, the way they're playing right now, it might be closer to 10 and it'll be, I, you know, this is where it's challenging because the Sox to me, if they, if they, let's say it's 10 wins, they're in limbo (laughs) at that point in time because anything less than 10 I think everybody starts hitting the panic button and saying, no, this team seriously needs to amp it up and they need help immediately. If it's 12 or, you know, 12 or 13, it's like, okay, things are all right. They're building up their lead. It's fine. In that 10 to 12 range, you're just kind of, you're still where they are now where it's like, yeah, they're good, but it doesn't feel like they're that good. And, and, how much do you risk to try to make them better right now versus, oh, let's just wait until they're healthy again? Yeah,
1: and this is scary. You know, people say it's doom saying, okay fine, but I'm just scrolling through the, I mean, there is not another gimme, and if as if we can insult them with a gimme given, we just split with them this week, We don't play Pittsburgh until the thirty first of August. Now there are Royals and Twins Series in there too. Uh, I see both I of those teams as being or, feisty and, yeah. and dangerous. So in terms of what you might call a gimme or an easy stretch, we don't have it until, until we're seeing Pittsburgh again. Uh, and and we're, we're, we're in September. And then we yeah. get right back to the A's, um, Red Sox, Angels this they got to fatten up thankfully mm-hmm. the last week of the season is rangers and tigers so if they really need to say oh man we screwed up <laughs> let's win seven or eight uh you know and of course i think there's 12 games packed into that last tiger series with some of the uh the tigers or Cle- tigers or cleveland or both mm-hmm. uh but uh, you know uh Yeah, I would say 11-12 makes sense uh, to feel good, not to feel like, hey, we're still in first place. It's going to be hard not to be in first place. Right. (laughs) He says, not knocking on wood. But, (laughs) uh, you know, that said, we don't want to just just be in first place. Yeah, I can even imagine what people are going to say at the All-Star Bank. It's going to be, they're in first place. What are you complaining about? Right. Come on, they're half game up in first place after what they just went through? But that's exactly
0: and that's exactly my concern is that if, if you're looking at, let's say nine to 10 wins, they're a half game up going into the all-star break. That's where to me, it's like, okay, this team is good, but not great. Are you concerned enough? Like is Rick Hahn concerned enough? Is White Sox brass concerned enough to say, Hey, we really need to make some moves here to get to that next level. Or, Are they just going to chalk it up to injuries and say, oh, well, the team's hurt, so we're going to extend the window another year and just say, because everybody was injured, we're not going to try to rock the boat too much. We're just going to add pieces here and there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we talked about it uh, a few days back on the Southside Sox podcast, and that is this team has almost got two paths now. One is the path of just making the playoffs, which seems like that is barely well in hand. It, uh, right. mean, granted, it's only, what, five spots, six? I don't remember what they even do with the type of your game. But I mean, it's limited spots, but it seems... Very gettable for the White Sox. But then there's the other part that says, okay, what are you going to do when you do? Are, are, is this another season where you're just happy to get to the playoffs like 2020 exactly. was? And you could imagine, and it's not completely wrong for a Rickon to say, listen, I can't, I'm not going to mortgage, I'm not training COPAC to get Adam Frazier for a year and a half. Okay, right. that's, that's okay. That's reasonable. I think there's something between mortgaging the future uh, and having to give away what premium talent you have left to get somebody in, particularly on, uh, what amounts to a rental contract or maybe trade some of that, um, capital where you maybe don't need the help as well for a guy, maybe does have still a couple, three years on the docket, but I don't expect them to just say, all right, Jeff, whatever, I'm going gangbusters. I get it that they're still tiptoeing, you know, toward that window. I, I understand. And there are guys out that are core players, not just inconvenient, not, not. Dallas Keuchel maybe being a little banged up, but it's Luis Robert, mm-hmm. it's Aloy Jimenez. But yes, uh, lack of movement will be very concerning if we hear anything like, well, yeah, we're going to, as if you can arbitrarily extend your window, right. uh, we'll be disappointed. You want to hear, we went for it. We want to hear, we thought we had a deal and um, I don't know, Joey Votto rejected the trade or whatever. We want to hear mm-hmm. something that says you're out there, you're trying, you're doing it because you don't know if you even have it next year. And that goes, that doesn't even mean the labor thing. That means who knows how they get out out of the gate, you know, next year, you're not, you're not sure what other injuries are in store. It seems to be the trend.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: So let's hope that they can put together a nice stretch. And when we uh, hop in and speak with the believe audience, again, uh, we will be a little brighter and saying, okay, this team did what it needed to do. That's what I wanted to talk to you about today, which is, Hey, they took the two they needed to in Pittsburgh. Things are pointing up. These are the great performances that stood out. They're, They're moving in the right direction into a great homestand, yeah. and we can't say that right now. Let's hope when yeah. we talk next, we are able to say that because my goodness. Uh, all right, Tommy, let's seg a little bit into stuff that's just a little bit less 2021 White Sox because anybody <laughs> can get fatigued with the 2021 White Sox. Everybody's EKG can just stabilize now. Let's talk about, I'd like to know, we we did talk about first uh, White Sox games. which of course, naturally are going to be some of the most memorable and most fun games. And I would certainly point to my very first game as one of the best I've ever been mm-hmm. to. But I'm curious to know what you consider the best game you've ever seen or been to with the White Sox.
0: Um, I mean, best... So best game I've ever seen, would that be like include like in-person live on TV or in attendance?
1: I guess attendance, but uh, certainly fun stories about actually seeing them win the World Series or whatever. i'm um, certainly counts.
0: Yeah, I mean, because even even for their World Series run, I, I think the biggest thing for me was uh, the El Duque game. Mm. And that game, I think, was the moment that my brain kind of flipped yep. between oh my God, the White Sox are in the playoffs. I don't know if I can handle this to, oh my gosh, they're, they're going to win. Like,
1: <laughs> I, I swear as, a, as a, even a longer time fan than you at that time, I, my expectations, I was hoping to beat Boston. I wanted the White Sox yeah. and my, for the first time in my life to win a playoff series. That's all exactly. I hoped. And you're right. By that inning, you thought, holy cow. You didn't think I didn't even know I was really was I was feeling confident, but it wasn't like mm-hmm. a gimme that, okay, well, this team's going all the way. But obviously at that point, you're like, even going into that game, you know, they're up, you know, they're up two, nothing fine. But you know, at that point, you're like, holy cow, they're going to win a play.
0: They're gonna win. They're gonna win.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh? This is uncharted. <laughs> it yeah. feels weird. I'm gonna yeah, go and get mean, my ALDS exactly.
0: <laughs> <hat>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. As much fun as it was to see them, you know, of course, win it all and all of that, that game to me was just kind of the first time I, I felt like supremely confident in, in, in a White Sox team, like with any sort of long-term trajectory of like, oh yeah, they're, they're going all the way now. Like this team's really, they got it. And that that game was huge.
1: Yeah, I will uh, choose a game, and I guess we probably did talk about this in the past as well, but um, the game I would choose that I actually attended was in that same run, and it was the last home game of that run. It was game two of the World Series, which of course was just insane, because Mm -hmm. uh, obviously the Scotty Pods walk-off was was (laughs) nuts, and nobody knew it could possibly happen, but that's when, definitely when you knew. Okay, mm-hmm. this team is very likely to win a World Series. And the bonus sort of sidebar for me, and of course, this is an entirely additional question or an entirely additional podcast, this whole saga, but that was a year where i had actually pitched or write a book on the team. And the book was supposed to be like combination, like personal fan history, obviously talking a ton about the 2005 team. And then of course, just White Sox history as well, a, a fun mm-hmm. way to combine all those elements. Had that uh, had that sort of oral agreement to write, had written tens of thousand words, had, had sent in sample sample chapters, and the cool of course there's a tragic end of the story that we won't talk about of at course least this yeah. time, but the fun thing I did get to see that game too with my dad, so mm-hmm. a little playoff uh, run with my dad, and at at some point driving back from that game, uh, you know he looked at me and he was like you know you know you know what this means i'm like yeah the white Sox are gonna win the world series He's like no because i was told about this book the white Sox. at some point at first it was like they got at least make they to win the division then mm-hmm. we'll talk about doing this book and then it became they got to get to the world series it kept you know they're like playing chicken raising and because it's exactly. like you know nobody likes the white Sox, nobody's going to the white socks but at some point it was they have to they have to win the world series <laughs> to do this book <laughs> so he looked at me said no you're going to get to write a book about the white Sox. i was like oh man you know, obviously you're you're caught up as a fan. But then I yeah. thought, oh hey, you know, man, Dad, I think you're right. I think they're going to do this. So, you know, part two and the tragic part of that story will be told at a later date. But that certainly was a memory on a number of levels. But even remembering that drive home was was a lot of fun to realize, it was just Absolutely. sinking in that this team was actually going to win. I mean, and and again, just thinking just a few weeks earlier, none of us thought that that was on the board. Oh all. right, yeah. Anybody who yeah. picked the White Sox to win the World Series, I think, I think they're lying. You know, yeah, obviously exactly. people did i guess yeah but i can't fathom that so Mm-mm. uh just to be in that position and say hey oh my god we're the catbird seat of winning the world series we just got to do, like two games in snow and right how we're gonna lose now mm-hmm. uh yeah it was just uh was just amazing so so much fun so that's probably one that jumps among many you know i know we've both yeah. seen plenty of games in person and on television, and a lot of tragic games, probably probably more tragic games. Oh, yeah. on television <laughs> That's topics for the future. Let's move on past the actual Chicago White Sox. For those of you still listening, God bless you. And this is the fun stuff we like to talk about as well. I asked you a question, and I'm very curious because you usually come with very reasoned answers. I actually have put a little thought into this one as well. But my question to you was, in the uh, realm of music, mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what acts what performers you feel uh you you would wanted you would have wanted to see more of maybe that band broke up or that person retired or disappeared or maybe of course uh, in many cases there's you know tragic uh, early demises as well I'm curious who jumps to mind as someone you would have wanted to see more of in that context
0: yeah there there were a lot that came to mind um the answer that I settled on that Yeah, I I mean, as a guitar player, and I'm still probably going to throw a curveball, Stevie Ray Vaughan
1: (laughs) for me. Oh,
0: Because to me, he, from the beginning, of course, was an amazing talent. But the timing of his death was right when I think he started figuring out the artistry Mm -hmm. of what he could do and as a songwriter was miles ahead of where he started from and i just like i always think of it in terms of he never really had that opportunity to be more than just a blues guitarist and and that to me has always been unfortunate
1: oh man yeah i mean the idea that the guy goes through the personal trials he does yeah um you're right grows to the point where he's actually crafting better than before maybe not just being a virtuoso which i imagine is a trap that's very easy to fall into mm-hmm. um yeah i remember i was in my college newsroom when because we had just got back to school it was late in uh very late in the summer um and he yeah, asked me to i said no way you know of course it's usually your responses right it's like are yeah. you kidding yeah. me you know yeah. that it's you know the, the, the you know the, the buddy holly story gets like repeated again you got mm-hmm. kidding me uh, that's a very interesting one. I, you know, I think one that's probably a given and somewhat understood. And say it's almost too easy to make my answer, but my, my my first of the of the three answers I have, my first would be along somewhat similar lines. A, a guy, uh, certainly even more insanely inventive than than even a Steve Ray Vaughn, and that's the Jimi Hendrix, of course, with yep. a very very curious to know even though he showed so much in a short short career exactly uh, that makes you just wonder okay how much more was there and and maybe the answer is there there wasn't but the innovation maybe not even the songwriting but the innovation and just the sound uh in such a short period of time just makes Mm -hmm. you wonder oh my god this guy had 20 30 whatever years you know left on the table and you know just
0: all taken away yeah not around
1: anymore yeah uh do you have uh other possibilities beyond <laughs> the number one uh, draft pick um,
0: oh you know in in a similar vein although i do wonder if he would have actually kept making music because i i don't know that he would have um but it was actually jim crochet
1: oh
0: because i I'm a sucker for singer-songwriters anyway, but I thought his songwriting style was always a little bit ahead of its time, Mm -hmm. and I know that he hated the idea of being famous and and all of that, but he always seemed like the kind of guy that would kind of, you know, fade away for a little bit and then come back five Mm, or ten years later and, and have, like, that second wave career once he's kind of accepted, like, all right, yeah, I I still love music too much yeah. to just kind of not do it anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, another another individual that um, tragically was uh, you know lost his life before he really had a chance to kind of ride that second wave in his career. Yeah,
1: and wasn't wasn't an overnight sensation by, no, by any means. So it took a long time getting there, which makes it sort of sad too. All right, yeah. well, I will jump in and say and take that extension because almost I, almost. Very similar timing, almost identical demise, but not so much to see what would have still come, but just because he was so damn enjoyable, though, of course, too young to even have seen this man, but my all-time favorite singer and a guy who I think would be just such a delight to witness in person or even get to talk to, uh, Otis Redding, who goes down in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, I believe, and just probably my favorite singer of all time and it gets very different from a like a jim croce story or any of these other guys we're talking about because really the strength is in the performance but my mm-hmm. goodness uh just incandescent for not even a decade It you just wonder how that could have just continued to play even if it just made oh, people happy for for you know a couple more days.
0: absolutely yeah no that's that's a good one
1: uh i'll give you i'll give you a third i have a third yeah. so i'll give you a third go for if it you wish. Uh, the the one that I think is the most curveball to me, and it's got a similar to a, to a Jimi Hendrix story. it's harder for me to project because this is definitely way before my time. But from what I know and from what I've seen from a very short career, it does seem like Buddy Holly would have done some really extraordinary stuff, just in seeing where he started. And listen, I'm not necessarily a, a you know, a, A a twangy, uh, as much as I love Elvis (laughs) Costello, I'm not necessarily a twangy bespectacled guy fan, but just to see from where he started, uh, which was nothing, you know, probably just learning how to build probably a guitar to you know, the orchestrations he was doing and the fact that he just seemed to be thinking in a much broader sense than any of those uh, art, few of those other artists were thinking that way because it just, Mm -hmm. I don't think was the way people did things back then. The idea that he wanted to take such control of his career from such an early time and just to see how the sound had evolved in what is just a microscopic career, always intriguing yeah. to me. That's not, I mean, that's not my time. You know, it's like my dad's time. It's, you know, but just to tap into that, you know, Chuck Berry, we got to see what he did and, you know, didn't have a ton more to give after he's right. but also was never such a, you know, aspiring talent. You know, he was yeah. more a uh, performer and incredibly clever writer, but uh, Buddy Holly seemed like he was going to do knows what it was going to be but a a, a much broader spectrum
0: absolutely yeah i i did have a third my third one um i think is only a curveball in that i don't it's not necessarily that his career was cut short but i think of marvin gay because of the fact that he constantly reinvented himself it really would have been interesting to see what his trajectory would have been, you know, carrying on through the eighties and and, and into the nineties and just another instance of somebody that had to overcome a lot of personal obstacles and, and drug issues and, but always had such a strong pulse on Things that were you know happening in the world this you know strife of of just everyday life and I think really you know you think about all of the remixes and collaborations that have been done after his death where they've like remade pieces of songs that he's done and tried to you know make it applicable for for modern listening and it's like he was so ahead of the time that I, I really think he could have done some really interesting things. Well, and the, and the courage he
1: had and the fact that he was still, you know, he was still like part of the system to think yeah. that as time went on, you had more ability to break out of that and, and, and make your own calls. And maybe he, maybe he follows a, uh, a, uh, I don't want to say know, James Brown pattern or something, but mm-hmm. but but just to, to to be able to then get some backing for for what some of his instincts were rather than always catch uh, uh, um, uh, pushback, pushback you know, for some of his every, most innovative yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and most creative uh, work. And the fact that he didn't seem to really lose a beat. The voice mm-hmm. seemed to still be in pretty, despite he all there. he had put himself through was still pretty much there. I mean, that's one thing you can say, well, I wish, I wish, but a lot of these guys, when I mean, we talked last podcast about Jim Morrison he was done he, he was wasn't done. going to be able yeah. to come back and do anymore because he had just burned himself out Barbara Gray was not the, the voice the instrument was not f- fried in the least and I think that uh, yeah there's probably a lot more to see from him even frankly if he just went through the motions it still would have been wonderful performance but to Agreed. know that maybe yeah. he could have dug deep and, and found you know uh, an offshoot of what's going on or mm-hmm. or even some of his more personal projects that were still sort of in your face in your face yeah
0: yeah <laughs> absolutely
1: would, would have been fun to know what yeah well you know listen now we have another category to talk about because we just talked about people who were dead now we, we can <laughs> in a future we can say okay well like who decided to end their career too early who decided to go into a different project too early so that's gonna be something else to think about in the future but uh that's interesting sad sad uh, little draft there but uh interesting i cannot i cannot argue with any of your picks and uh yeah jim croce That one surprised me that was boy that was a that was a pops Valentini staple on the eight track in the car oh man you got those jim croce 12 greatest hits or whatever it was absolutely oh, man, yeah I those memorized yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well we have uh good bonus topics for our future podcasts we will be checking in probably not before the end of this next uh series coming up uh we have an off day tomorrow and then weekend series so maybe we'll try to hop on again sort of mid homestand at the very least probably by end of homestand check in where this team's at to see how close they came to the 11 or 12 games we feel they need to win before they also Star break time <laughs> Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope, I hope, and yeah. Listen, this team can, you know, they, they they're the, the offense is struggling as it should yeah. be because they don't, you know, they, they don't have their guys. No, but they got to find a way, especially with the pitching they've still been getting. I know it's it's sort of it's flagged a little bit, but generally it starts to build, been a bit at least still competent, good enough. yeah, uh, if not pretty good. And yep. you know, the bullpen has not outright blown there's been some bad performances without the bullpen continues to be all right um not enough to really outright lose games there haven't been many games lost by not as many games it seems lost by the pitchers as hitters this year and i know there's a reason for that because the hitters are more depleted than the pitchers but these guys are in the major leagues uh exactly can't be just yosemite grandel being the clutch hitter can't and, just be and he, i don't even know who their home run leader is it's like what three homers they don't even right. they don't have a power guy
0: and, and you have to build a 40-man roster of guys that can appreciably play at major league baseball you know and and that's where the socks as evidence have fallen short Are you
1: trying to say <laughs> that alex mcrae should not be on a 40-man just saying time? you know come on yeah i mean it really shouldn't just be like it shouldn't be like the end of the baseball draft where the last five guys on your 40 man are just you know like the courtesy guys. Well let's put Alex McGrath. Kind of hey up. you
0: go yeah.
1: <laughs> and it'd be nice if a couple of those are bats, but that's not how it works. And it's yeah, so it's, it's gonna going. Going be a challenge. And uh, you know, when what is the is the, the, the trade deadline has moved around? Is it end of July now? Or is it end of yeah. August now? End of July? Yeah, end of
0: July. And then there's the um you know the waiver, the waiver wire. Stuff which, you know, extends into August. But yeah. chances are, I think, um, barring some sort of interesting waiver opportunity, it'll probably be that end of July window for the Sox.
1: Well, five weeks to, to, to get something to get in it. that can shake yeah. up this team. And, you know, listen, not that we should hope for uh, struggles in these last 16 games uh, heading up the All-Star break, but, you know, even if they're just a little bit worse than we think, maybe, it's, maybe it is just nine wins. Um, yeah. Maybe that's enough to to spur something because uh, you know, the team does, it uh, does have to do something. It cannot rely mm-hmm. just on Luis Robert coming back who we don't even know was going to have a strong sophomore season. It seemed like it was promising, but we don't know if it was going to be like September, well, 2020 or. And, and you don't
0: know what kind of shape he's going to come back in. I mean, it's, this is, these are significant injuries that these guys are coming back from and I you just, you have no idea what that's going to look like when they come back. So, to assume that they're back at 100% or even 80% it is a lot to ask.
1: Yeah, a, a broken finger. Oh, okay, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the fact that Eloy's power is significantly coming from his chest, and that's what he ripped. The fact that Luis's value, five tool value, all stems from the core of his body, and that is ripped yeah exactly. it is a lot to expect and i know again it was another doom thing where it's like oh well these guys you probably got to just take them out this season well the truth is i mean aside from maybe some 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 dh type duty i i still don't know that you can really count on these guys being and maybe 75 percent of louis robbers is, is better than adam Engel starting in center field it right. probably is but is it it's not louis
0: robbers is it that much different field. exactly so, yeah oh,
1: boy I look forward to a really good homestand, so we can just have a happy, happy podcast. Now, I don't That'll know if we have one yet. Exactly, that would be right. nice. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna wish it into existence. A very strong, a first home series or even first homestand. Whenever we check back in with you, believe audience. Uh, we will. Oh man, we're either going to be cussing Tommy, or we're going to be really happy. Riding high. Next, let's not. I'm tired of this sort of middle thing where we got to bite our nails down to <laughs> the nubs. It's not much fun. We've been doing it all year for some reason. Let's get a little bit of pad on that first place lead and and talk more aggressively. Maybe I'll be looking at the schedule next podcast and talking about. Oh man, yeah, we can. We'll take three out of four of Boston. Yeah, we're going to sweep Houston in that one. We're, you know, we will be just talking better and we'll figure out that maybe we're legitimately 115 team. Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Once again, the scores of you out there listening. I know the numbers are growing as we speak. I love knowing that. Uh, We really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Read both of our writing uh, at uh, Tommy writes and I write at Southside Sox. So be sure to check in on that to uh, see what we're doing on paper, on the screen. Uh, And we'll be back at you uh, in another three, four, six, seven games. Talk more White Sox with you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Tommy. All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.